0: Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business, Alex Brill. He's a, a long-time regular on the Price of Business. He is a former uh, senior economist, chief economist for the House Ways and Means Committee in Congress, uh, has worked in, in uh, the white executive branch as well, in the White House, and he just brings a wealth of information and understanding to what's happening in the uh, public policy front. And AEI, the, the, the organization he's with, the American Enterprise Institute, AEI.org, they frankly are one of, if not my favorite, public policy uh, think tanks. So many of them are so agenda-driven that, uh, you know, they, they really only appeal to people that agree agree with them. <laughs> You know, it's not very persuasive, in, in my opinion. Uh, I think good public policy think tanks recognize the fact that they do want to move thought in a different, certain direction, but they do it with respect, and they do it with open-mindedness, and no one does that better than AEI. So as, as <laughs> you know, uh, showing my, my total uh, geekness, uh, Alex, uh, I'm kind of a fanboy of AEI.
1: It's always good to be on with you, um, and uh, and I feel very fortunate to be able to be affiliated with, with AEI because I believe, like like you were saying a moment ago, it's a it's a place that is absolutely um, free market oriented. Um, most of my colleagues are consider themselves conservatives, but it's also a place that's very evidence based and fact based, um, and uh, and we do our best uh, to try to to push the debate um in in that direction towards free markets um and and make those arguments with with evidence not just uh not just rhetoric
0: absolutely i'd love if you asked you all right we got an interesting topic you know i try to keep up with uh, with you whenever you're on uh it's very easy to do because you're uh involved in in lots of different issues and frequently quoted and and uh the Yale Law Journal and the other, uh, I think, important publications. Why don't you, first of all, set the stage about this issue and uh, how you have weighed in on it? Yeah, so the
1: Supreme Court uh, heard arguments um, last week uh, in a, a tax case, which is pretty rare for the Supreme Court to take a, a tax case up. Um, but this case came up uh, through the Ninth Circuit uh, on the West Coast, and it involves a uh, couple, the Moores, Charles Moore and his wife Kathleen Moore, um, and they are objecting to a tax that uh, was actually uh, enacted as part of the Trump tax cuts in 2017. Uh, the Trump tax cuts, you know, across the board cut taxes for individuals and, and certainly for corporations, um, but a few of the provisions in the 2017 tax cut actually raised revenue. Um, And they did that to pay for, in part, to finance or to pay for uh, other taxes in that bill. And so the Moors um, uh, were uh, our owners in a business in India. Uh, That business made profits. um, And the profits were held in India. Um, And the reason that, one of the reasons that the profits might have been held in India is because if they brought them back to the United States, the, the taxes would have to, would have be imposed by the U.S. government. So that we had a system prior to 2017 where if you made money abroad in a corporation, in a foreign-controlled corporation, you didn't want to bring the money back to the United States because you didn't want to have to pay additional tax. And so part mm-hmm. of the reforms in 2017 fixed that problem and said that that type of income could come back to the United States tax-free And that's really good because more money coming back into the United States is is good for our economy. But also in that bill, they said, for all the money that's been held abroad back to 1986, we're going to tax that a little bit. Not full tax, but a partial tax on that money. And Charles Moore and his wife said, what money? We don't have any money. Why are you taxing us? That money is, is in this other company halfway around the world. Um, that's unconstitutional. They said that that, 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 that was a, a direct tax, um, that um, and not, not, not the way the income tax was intended. This was uh, unrealized uh, income. And the case came up to the Supreme okay. Court, um, and it's got a lot of interest because they are making an argument that if you can tax this income, then you can tax anyone's wealth. And that is very concerning Mm -hmm. to to me.
0: It's a wealth tax, in other words.
1: Exactly. So they're making the claim that it's like a wealth tax. And so that Mm -hmm. would be concerning to me because I don't want to have a wealth tax. I don't think we should have a wealth tax. However, I don't think that this is the same as that. And, And so I submitted a brief with some colleagues, an amicus brief to the Supreme Court, arguing against uh, the Moore's case, arguing in, actually in favor of the government, uh, arguing to uphold this provision from the Trump tax cuts, um, and uh, a- and arguing that in fact Congress has the authority to decide um, to put it, to put in place these types of taxes when when they when they deem it. And if you don't like these taxes, you can go to the hall of Congress and you can lobby against them. But it it should not be the role of the Supreme Court to be defining uh tax policy in this way
0: yeah this is uh, you know and we I, my gut tells me i, I would assume you concur based on our conversations is that they like to call this a real right wing to supreme court the reality is it's an extremely traditional supreme court um it, it, it i my gut tells me it's going to go hmm this looks like an article one section you know uh article one section eight issue Uh, you know, the role of Congress, the specific roles of Congress, not ours. That's what my gut tells me, but, you know, we live in weird times. The reason why they seem so shocking is because they are stopping the trend of of the court as as another legislative branch, which has been going on for decades. That's why they seem so shocking. Uh, But based on what their actual decisions, to me, seems like this – you know they're going to be very resistant to this kind of argument, not because it's so well tax, although I think most are opposed to that, but because it goes beyond the realm of, of the Supreme Court.
1: I think that's exactly right, and and, and I think that's a, a, an excellent way to to think about this issue. Um, and uh, you know it, it's been interesting to uh, to watch how much attention this case uh, has garnered because people think it it is. Is precedent-setting for a whole bunch of other tax policies. The other point that we make in our brief, and I wrote about this again recently uh, last week, is there's a risk here that a whole bunch of stuff in the tax code gets um, caught up in a in an ill if there's an ill-informed decision by the court. And what I mean by that is there are lots of provisions that impose taxes even if the income hasn't reached your bank account. Um, partnerships are taxed this way, even if the income isn't in your checking account or bank account. If you earn income in your partnership, um, that you will pay tax on that. Um, there are other provisions that we discuss. And so the the court is, is sort of like playing in a risky space here. And if they don't get deep into tax policy and understand all the other parts of the tax code, they rely on this same principle, there's there's a lot of risk for the real estate industry. There's a risk for the private equity industry. There's a risk for business investment in the United States in general. And so this it is on one hand, an obscure tax provision that affects a, a relatively few taxpayers. On the other hand, there is a risk that it could sort of domino effect and create a lot of uncertainty in the tax code uh, more broadly.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I think this is really crucial. And, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are hearing you talk about, what, you get to bring the money back without paying taxes on that? How is that good for America? Well, the way that's good for America is because almost all of that money they bring back will be used in future taxable activity. You know, that's why it's good for the American government, whereas the current model, or the old model, rather, uh, gave them any every incentive to do that taxable activity in a different country.
1: And that's exactly it. The choices that people are making is is whether to not bring it back. If you don't bring it back, there's no tax paid, and the acti- the activity, just as you said, the activity remains abroad. If you can bring it back, then... Then we can build. We can use those dollars to build factories in the United States, right? We may or may not. Of course, I mean, it's, you're not required to build a factory in the United States when you bring the money back. But you're giving people the opportunity to bring it back. You're not discouraging them from bringing it back. You're giving them the opportunity to bring it back and invest it in the United States.
0: Yeah, an activity that ultimately will create jobs, will we'll, uh, be taxable activity. Uh, whereas now, you know, our, where it was, it was uh, not only revenue t- taking flight, but maintaining uh, permanent flight, which that doesn't make any sense. This is this is really the kind of at the heart of progressive policies. Um, and, you know, and unfortunately, we seem to not be very—I say people, particularly the public policy uh, makers. Um, um, they don't seem to be very consequential in their thinking. To me, the logic of, uh, you know, making it have incentives to bring it back is obvious. But we have so weaponized uh, tax policy, really all policy, that it's, uh, it's very difficult to get sound policy accomplished these days.
1: That's exactly right. I, I completely agree. And just to give you give you and the listeners a sense of the, the magnitude here, where the amount of money – that was held offshore prior to this 2017 Act provision going into effect is trillions of dollars, two to three trillion dollars, I believe, had been held in the in these foreign firms. Um, and it's everybody. It's Google, it's Apple, it's Microsoft, but it's also very small companies that we've never heard of, like the one in this case, um, this Indian um uh, equipment supply company, and so all sorts of businesses that, that were discouraged from bringing back trillions of dollars of, of income that they had earned abroad. And so it does matter. It's not just a theoretical argument. You know, there's a there's a real opportunity to to allocate capital more efficiently, more appropriately, and ultimately for more of that capital to be back in the United States. And just as you said, you know, building factories, helping create jobs, helping uh, helping innovation here in the United States.
0: So, give us your uh, final thoughts as we begin to wrap it up. What do, what do you what do you envision happening? And have you been keeping up with uh, you know the, the various arguments being made by others either way on this?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, now we go into a, a, a waiting period. Um, I don't know when the court will rule on this case, um, but it'll you know at some point in the spring they'll they'll uh, hand down their decision. Um, I'm not expert in reading the tea leaves of the Supreme Court justices as they question, um, you know, both parties, but it did seem that they were uh, uh, concerned about the risks of ruling in favor of the Moors. In other words, it seemed that the Moors um, were either not going to succeed um, or that there would be some very narrow decision. So I sort of uh, heard those arguments. I I left optimistic. that that this would go in the in the in my favor and the you know in the favor of the government and the, the position that I'm holding, um, but w- you know we won't know for sure until the spring.
0: Got it. Which means maintaining, you know, uh, the, the idea is forcing government to do its job. I I, right. I think that's the the court's default. Make government do its job. Make make which branch of government do its job. That's what it, you know. That you know, when we look at Minnesota's. Uh, decision to they made. made. Uh, all of that has been about mm, that's an agency, but this is a you know Article One issue, not not an agency issue. That type that's of right. thing. You know, I I think that if you're really looking for a thing, the media wants to say they're extreme right wing. I think they're extremely traditional.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very solid point.
0: Hi, Alex Burrell. Always love having you on. I always encourage people. Uh, in fact, we talk about you between segments and AEI between segments, and between times you're on because I'm and I am such a fan. Make sure you check out AEI.org. Uh, one of the true, uh, one of the few truly uh, true think tanks. Uh, those are really hard to come by nowadays. Most of them are just transparent propaganda machines, not transferring in a good way. <laughs> yep. It's so obvious that they're propaganda machines. We need more thought and more uh, think and uh, less hardcore activism from these institutions. Thanks as always, Alex, and, and Merry Christmas.
1: Happy holidays to you too, Kevin. Merry Christmas, and uh, and I'll talk to you as soon as I can.
0: All right. I'm Kevin Price. Safe you for more.